We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This is the Audio Football Draft Kit Edition. I'm Ro- Rotowire President Peter Shanky, along with Managing Editor Chris Liss. Uh, this is just the Rotowire podcast to get you started for the season, kind of a general overview. And uh, let's dive right in. It's uh, recorded on July 23rd, 2018. And it's a compliment to the cheat sheets uh, that are available at rotowire.com slash Twitter. So get the full breakdown. Um, before we dive into some you know, overall strategy and some rankings, uh, we just you just published the magazine, in which uh, you, you wrote a big chunk of it, did all the projections. Uh, there's a couple of news items that have come out since then. Just want to get a quick take from you. First one is uh, Andrew Luck, who, you know, this spring didn't even know if he's going to play this year, if he's going to come back, when he was going to come into practice. But looks like he's going to report to camp and pretty much be, you know, ha- have no, you know, very few limitations, full go. Uh, how does that? Your opinion of him? Well, I mean, obviously it's good news for him. Uh, I don't think he's totally out of the woods. I think until you get into like a real competition, we don't really know for sure. But um, quarterback is so deep this year, and Luck has so much upside for two reasons. One, he's also a running quarterback, which just adds a little extra value that the Tom Brady's and Drew Brees just can't add. And two, the defense is so bad that you assume um, they're going to be throwing quite a bit, and they don't really have an established running game or, or anything of the sort. I mean, really, the only thing they have is, is T.Y. Hilton and some tight ends. And so I think they're going to throw a lot. And uh, if Luck does play, there's a ton of upside. And if he gets hurt or isn't good, you can always snag like Matt Ryan or Eli Manning or some random QB that's going to get you, you know, your close to 4,000 yards and 25 to 30 touchdown passes. Yeah, I took him as the in a in our Vegas draft, which is a fourteen team league, one quarterback you start. I took him as the tenth quarterback. Uh, it didn't take a backup, which I got a lot of flack from on Twitter. But you know, on the waiver wire, there's still Trubinsky, Tannehill, Dalton quarterbacks. I could normally I would normally take. Normally, I just take the last. I'm the last guy to take a quarterback in that league. So a lot of upside. Well, uh, it's interesting, and I wrote something about this with projections, and I'm I'm not sure that maybe. I'm not going back on what I said, but I have luck. I was looking at the 16th quarterback, and the only reason he's 16th and not like 8th or 9th on my board uh, is because of two quarterback leagues. Like, if there were only one quarterback leagues out there, I think I would just juice his projections to make him in the top 10 because I think in a one-quarterback league, he's a top 10 guy. But the problem is if people go through our customized tool with a 2QB league and I boost his projections, 
I would have him significantly lower in a two QB league where the risk of him getting hurt or not being himself is actually really big. It really hurts you. Yeah. I mean, plus it's also about market value. When I took him as a 10th quarterback, I was willing to take him like a round or two earlier than I would for a quarterback because um, usually I just wait for the last guy. But if he has a good couple of weeks in the preseason and he's going as like the fifth, sixth quarterback, he's not going to be on any of my teams because at that point, why take the risk? There's so many other guys around him that are just as good probably. Yeah. Now, if he has uh, a big preseason, I, I think he'll go as, you know, I mean, Luck is like a fourth, you know, he had like 40 touchdowns a couple of years ago. I mean, he's like, the ceiling is pretty high. Yeah, exactly. All right. The other guy in the news today, Josh Gordon, not going to show up at camp, uh, not in trouble, not suspended. It doesn't seem like he had a setback, personal reasons, but uh, for me, this just, you know, this this clouds his outlook. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of hype on him. He was going in like second rounds in a lot of drafts. I, I think his, his uh, value will plumb it now. I mean, is that, is that what you agree? Would you agree with it, that, that take? I downgraded him. I upgraded Jarvis Landry and Corey Coleman a bit. Um, yeah, I, I pretty much agree. It, it's not like that he's relapsed, as you said, and obviously, like, from like a personal human standpoint, you feel some empathy for the guy. I mean, he's trying to get his life in order, but this is exact, you know, from a fantasy perspective, it's like the whole drama of like, Oh, you know, Willie won't he like, you start to realize it's been a long time since he set the league on fire and led, led it in receiving yards in 14 games. It's been a long time. It's been like five years now. And you know, anything where it's like, not just smooth, you wonder, okay, is this going to be like a drama all year? And, I mean, I'd take him in like the sixth round probably, but no earlier than that. Yeah, I just – I was avoiding him anyway. Just so many things have to go right. I mean, he has to stay on the field both health-wise and off-field issues. He has to have decent quarterback play, which is you know far from a given in Cleveland. They've had other veterans and top picks that haven't panned out. Um, he has to have uh, – you know, not – he has to get the, you know, the, big, the, the majority of target share, which, you know, there's a, they brought in a bunch of other talent. So – you know, all those things have to get crossed off for him to be at you know a top you know three, four, five round pick in my opinion. Now you've got this uncertainty. Uh, no way, you know. So, um, yeah. So that you know that that those those situations came up. Those are the really two news so far. And you know, like I said, we're we're, we're recording this you know in the first few days of training camp. I mean, the other thing really is just all the guys coming back from injuries. You know, Beckham, Aaron Rodgers, um, Allen Robinson. Yeah. You know, I mean, any any of those players that are coming, you know, Carson Wentz. I mean, any of those players that are coming back that you've seen any red flags for, or any, you know, we're assuming they're all going to be healthy, right? We want to see them this 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 preseason. But any one of those guys that really gives you pause, or you say, you know, I need to see something else. Deshaun Watson is another key guy. No, I mean, everyone seems to be coming back pretty well. The reports are at least decent on everybody. Allen Robinson was a little slow uh, this spring, but. They expect him to be 100% for training camp, and not really. I mean, I, I think Watson, the issue is that pro football focus graded his offensive line as, like, one of the worst in several years, um, and that's just coming off the injury, trying to still be mobile, and then kind of being under assault every play, like kind of Russell Wilson was last year. It's a hard way to go, um, so I'm a little nervous about him, but in terms of just recovering from the prior injury, he seems like he's pretty good. Wentz, they said, you know, they're not going to guarantee that he's ready for week one, but it's a torn ACL. Like a torn ACL, I don't know. I guess Wentz was pretty late in the season, so he might be a little bit cause for concern because, remember, Watson got hurt in October. Um, Allen Robinson got hurt week one. But the guy who got hurt latest in the year and some point in December was Wentz. So there may be a little bit of a worry with him. I mean, he's not a running back, so his mobility helps, but it's not like what he relies on. So I guess of all the guys, I have Wentz a little bit lower until I see him play see some reports out of camp a little bit. He's, he's my sixth QB. I'd probably have him third or fourth if, uh, if I knew we were fully healthy. All right, let's switch a little bit from the recent news to just kind of overall strategy this year. We've done t- you, I've done two drafts. We did last week in Vegas, the Stopa Auction League, and we also did the uh, Las Vegas Staff League, which we talked about. Um, I mean, any trends? Any, any trends you're seeing so far? I mean, how does the year shape up heading into draft season? Not really. I mean, it's running back heavy because the running backs have kind of proven that the one year that they went crazy is not a fluke. It's been two years. The whole NFL has shifted into being uh, more of a league that targets running backs in the passing game. Of course, that could change. It can evolve further. But you used to have a lot of three wideouts, and then you'd have this slot corner come in. And I think offensive have countered that slot corner by putting more running backs in. If, if you want to have five DBs as a base defense – um, then we'll have more running backs on the field. And so now I think they're starting to draft like those coverage linebackers that become more valuable when teams are thrown to their running backs a lot. But I don't think that trend's going to change. You know, I, I had the eighth pick in the uh, Beat Chrysalis NFBC 
um, a couple weeks ago or a week ago. And uh, it was, uh, I, I took Kareem Hunt and I took him happily there. You know, just any one of those sort of young, healthy, full time pass catching backs, those guys are sort of the kings. And the dominant number one wide receiver is in decline. I mean, you have Antonio Brown was on pace before missing a game, sitting out a game for having one of those absolutely monster years. But besides him, you know, Beckham didn't play much. Hopkins had a good year, very good, considering that he played with Tom Savage half the year as his quarterback. But you just don't really see Julio Jones, A.J. Green, any of these guys getting that monster target share where they're getting 180, 200, 190 targets that we saw four or five years ago. And I think it's because they're just diversifying who they throw to. And, um, you know, unless the NFL abruptly changes again, it's going to be those three down running backs that are going to be the uh, the key. I think it's kind of, you know, as as the top wide receivers maybe aren't what they were back in the Moss, Harrison, and Heyday. Um, but don't you think the gap between, you know, who Jones and, like, the guy you're going to get in, like, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth round has widened so that even though Julio isn't putting up the big touchdown totals that a Moss or Harrison or Owens did back in the day, he's still so much reliable for, you know, pass, you know, passes and, you know, passes caught in PPR and, and yardage, uh, that the gap between him and the, you know, second and third guys is wide enough where he's still pretty valuable and, and arguably you could take him over a wide receiver in that same late first round, early second round uh, spot. I mean, you could take him over a running back, you know, that has a flaw, you know, Dalvin Cook coming back from injury, <clears throat> you could take him over him. You could take him over Jarek McKinnon, who we're not really sure how good he is as a real full-time guy. Um, but I don't know that the gap is wide, and I think it's actually narrowed because if, if Julio's catching 125, 130 passes, then it's very wide. If Julio's catching 94 passes, then it's narrowed, right? I mean, we don't know. Maybe the other guys are less reliable too, but just because we don't know who the 75-catch guy is that's going to emerge – we're gonna, there's going to be some 75-catch guys who do emerge. And so the gap in catches may be 25 catches on the year. The gap in yards will be a little bigger because Julio is a good per-play guy. The gap in touchdowns, unless he changes his ways, uh, might not be that big. So, you know, I mean, there's a gap, but I don't think it's nearly as big as a gap between the three-down, heavily-worked running back versus the running back specialist. So I, I think the gap with receivers are narrowing, and I'm not sure if that's a permanent thing or just a, something that's happened the last couple of years, but they just have not been using the number one receivers as, as much. They haven't been getting as big a target share as they used to a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, that's where I think, you know, I, I, I th- there's not really a great reason, you know, really well-defined reasons why the NFL passing yardage and rush has gone down the last two years and rushing yardage has gone up and receiving touchdowns have gone down i mean is it a new thing i'm not sure i I still think it's kind of fluky because if you look at the long-term view of the nfl from like the you know 70s and early 80s where there was 200 yards passing game to where it hit reached a high of 243 in 2015 you know this is just a two-year dip and i could see a scenario 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 where this year the top wide receivers are suddenly you know getting all those target shares and then offense you know shifts again and i'm almost willing to to do that, to take a gamble on that and still go with the wide receivers because, you know, with lack of concrete data, I got to assume it's kind of fluky and the price is great this year. You can get a lot of these top wideouts at, at prices that we haven't seen for years, right? Because you have, uh, you know, 10 to 12, 13, you know, running backs in the top 15 of, any, of just about any draft in any format. Yeah. Let me, I'll actually give you some numbers on this just, you know, to, to bolster it. I, I was just dug this up from my receiver, uh, intro for the magazine, but, um, Last year, there were 13,000-yard wideouts. That's it. Just 13 of them. There were 23 even in 2016. I mean, think about that. There were 23 two years ago, and there were 13 last year. That's a huge decline. There were 22 in 2015, 21 in 2014. So low 20s was the norm for 1,000-yard receivers. Last year, only 13. Uh, last year, only 10 wideouts even had 80 catches compared to 16, 17, and 17 the three previous seasons, respectively. Touchdowns were worse. Only two wideouts scored double digits last year, as opposed to five in 2016, 10 in 2015, and 12 in 2014. So all the receiving production is down. Overall, there were 114,921 passing yards league-wide. That was down from 123,639. Basically, about 8%, just overall passing yards. And 2016 was about the exact same as, as 2017. So it's more than a 7% drop in total passing game output. 
Wideouts cost, caught 5,791 passes as opposed to 6,490. 11% drop in receptions for wideouts from 2016 to 2017. By contrast, running backs, despite uh, passing overall shrinking, caught more passes last year. They actually increased to 2646 from 2407. In other words, the overall pie was shrinking for wideouts and also their share of it. So like the overall passing output for all positions was shrinking, and then the wideouts got a smaller percentage of the lesser pie last year. Tight, out, tight ends were also down from 2489 to 2299 by 8%. So that's pretty crazy, right? So, so the, the data is basically saying that passing yardage and attempts are down you know, a, a legitimate amount, and yet running back yardage and attempts and, and receptions are up. So the, the game has shifted. Now, as you said, maybe it shifts back, but... You know, this this is a league. These are stats that are league wide. Yeah. So, well, it'd be interesting interesting to see uh, what happens there. But yeah, I mean, maybe maybe running backs are here to stay, right? You know. So, I mean, um, well, here's, so here's, here's, here's the here's the thing, and and I'll I'll say this: why I think they might be here to stay until the defensive. I think the only thing that's going to change it is the defense making an adjustment, and then offensive coordinators having to make a further adjustment. But you know, uh, I don't know. We have an article with Rufus Peabody, who I interviewed, um, who's a professional handicapper. And he, his argument was, you know, his, he has his own sort of algorithm, how to handicap the games. And one of the things he uses is play success rate, how often a team succeeds or fails. And, and succeeding is like getting at least four yards on first down, at least 60% of the yardage on second down to get a first down, and then converting on third down if, if necessary. And if you, if you think about it, like, it's not like yards per play that's the overall thing. It's not yards per attempt. It's basically just being able to get that 10 yards every set of downs, to keep moving the chains, to keep converting. And I think some of the teams, and, and you look at the best teams among them, the Saints were super you know, run-heavy and throw to their running backs. They threw a ton of passes to both Ingram and Kamara. And the Patriots are, throw a ton to their running backs. Two of the best offenses and smartest teams, you know, they've kind of figured out the cheat code, which is, Get the easy yards. Like, why? We don't need to run deep routes that often um, as long as we can just get these six- and seven-yard receptions easily to our running backs and get a quick release and our quarterback doesn't get hit. It's just like a cheat code to moving the ball. I think the offenses have figured that out, especially given the way that a lot of teams' base defenses were five DBs. And so, I I don't know, man. Unless unless the defense really figures out how to counter that, I think we're going to get more of the same. Okay, so that, that's kind of running back, wide receiver. The, the, the mix is heavy uh, running back this, this year, at least at the top of the first round, and justifiably so, according to you. I, I think there might be a buying opportunity if you want to zig when everybody else is zagging, which you know has been successful over the years. Um, you know, quarterback, we've talked about before. It, it's so deep. We're both waiting forever. Um, but what about tight end? How are you tackling tight end this year? Yeah, it's kind of just a case-by-case basis, right? Like if I'm in a certain round where – I'm happy, you know, I'm happy with my receivers or I don't love the receivers that are available at the, at the price or running backs or whatever. And a particular tight end slips to where, yeah, it's really just case by case. I don't have an overarching. Sometimes I'd say get a big, go big or just go for a buck or that's fine. You could say that, but I would take Delaney Walker. I took him in one league where he slipped, you know, which is kind of a mid-level guy. I've been taking George Kittle, perhaps overpaying for him for the upside. I've, I've been sort of all over the map. What about you, Pete? Yeah, I mean, I think if Kelsey would fall to a spot where you think there's value, like in the in the you know third round, like I really wanted him in the third round of the Vegas draft, I just missed him, but I would have easily taken him there. Um, you know, may, maybe Ertz, um, but if, if I'm not going to get value with one of those tips, where I just feel like you know he's better than a comparable wide receiver or running back in, in there, and it's a pretty good spot, then I'm probably going to wait to the end. So probably not going to go all out and take like. You know, Gronk or Kelsey in the second round or first round or something like that. But I could pick my spot, same thing. But generally speaking, I'm going to go bigger, go small, and, and just not try to wait around the middle. Yeah. I mean, uh, the middle sometimes where it's good. I'm, I'm not going to get the Jimmy Grahams and Evan Ingrams is kind of where I'm at. Those are the only two guys I haven't seen available at any point where I would actually consider taking them. All right. Well, let's, let's dive into the uh, actual positions here. We talked about quarterbacks. It's super deep. I mean, how do you kind of, you know, break down the, the tiers here? I mean, what's, you know, I mean, you know, obviously there's a ton of quarterbacks, but uh, how, do you, how do you break it down? Yeah, I mean, I have sort of the top tier is four guys, and it would have five if Wentz uh, shows that he's 100%. Again, he got hurt in December, so it's a little bit, he's a little bit later to recover. But it's, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers one, Wilson two, Watson three, Newton four. That's my, that's sort of my top tier. And then my second tier is sort of the Brady, Wentz, you know, Garoppolo and... Uh, 
Cousins. I, I mean, that kind of bleeds cousins. in. I, I guess Brady and Wentz is kind of a second mini tier, and then it's sort of like Cousins, Garoppolo, Goff, Breeze, Stafford. It's kind of another tier. And then there's a third tier that's like Mariota, Mahomes, Alex Smith, Philip Rivers, Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck could jump a couple tiers if he shows he's healthy. But I, these aren't really that – like, I don't really care that much. Like, honestly, like, in the NFBC, I would take maybe Rodgers or Wilson in the fifth, um, fifth or sixth. And, I, and the other guys, I would – I'm just going to wait till like, the 14th. And because I don't really have them that – or maybe 14th was pushing it. I did get golf in the 14th, but that was a little bit dangerous what I was doing. But, but I guess my point is just that I don't see enough of a gap between the top tier and the third tier not to wait. Like I, I almost like even if I got like Rodgers in the sixth, which would seem like a good price, even then I'd sort of be like, ah, that's kind of a stupid thing to take a quarterback that early. Yeah, I kind of agree. Um, I'm really going to just completely wait on quarterback and try to be like, you know, trying to be one of the last guys in the league to take one. Mahomes, Dalton. I mean, you know, even Eli Manning. I mean, if you're going to project everybody on the Giants to have all these great years, which most of our most projections out there do, then you you know, if you do the math, it's hard to not see Eli Manning have a having a competent season. Uh, um, you know, and he he's, and if you're in a, a league with one quarterback and you know liberal free agency, you know, if it doesn't pan out after a couple of weeks, you know, there's still going to be you know somebody else on the waiver wire. So um, those are some of my late 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 season targets. Any 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 years that you find yourself ending up with late in drafts? Yeah, I always have Lamar Jackson on every team if I can. Um, it's I screwed up in the uh, I actually really screwed up in the NFBC not rostering him, but that that format uh, rewards rushing touchdowns a little bit less because passing is six points for a touchdown. So, but you know Lamar Jackson, he's either gonna take over Flacco's job or he's not. If he's not, he's totally worthless. If he does it, he could be a top five quarterback. Uh, the the problem is that. If you project someone like that, it's totally wrong because his 50th percentile projection is like the 30th QB. It's literally just, you know, you have to project the fact that he might not get a whole, get a single snap under center except on like a gadget play the whole year. But that's that's just not reflective of his actual value. Even if there's only a 10% chance or a 20% chance he takes over the job, his upside is so big that in a one QB league, you should be rostering him. I mean, you know, Mario Puig, who's our college football expert and, you know, knows – more about college than I do. He said, he said, this guy's a better runner than Michael Vick. Um, and you just can't really compete with that. You can't have an Eli Manning who doesn't run at all compete with Lamar Jackson or forget Eli Manning. You can't even have Matt Ryan compete or Philip Rivers complete with compete with Lamar Jackson. If Lamar Jackson gets 3,200 passing yards on a season, it's a very modest number and 900,000 rushing yards. That's a 5,000 yard season. Cause the rushing yards are worth double. That's a, you know, he could get a season that basically is worth as much as any, total yardage season from a quarterback in NFL history by getting 3,200 passing yards. That's all he really would need. And then even if he gets 20 or 18 passing touchdowns, if he gets six rushing touchdowns, that's going to be monstrous. So, you know, again, he's still an underdog to get the bulk of the job. But if he does get the job, I mean, he's a top 10 QB probably from the get-go. And, you know, there's like number one overall upside among QBs. It's just no QB really has that ability to uh, put up close to 1,000 rushing yards. Yeah, he's definitely someone to snag on on your bench. The you know the roster size and uh, format with the quarterbacks definitely makes a difference. You know, definitely makes a big difference. But uh, tons of upside. Um, all right, let's have a, let's switch over to running backs. Uh, I mentioned a lot of these already. I mean, how do you how do you see that breaking down as far as tiers? There seem to be kind of a top, I guess, seven or so eight. that just goes every first round. There's eight and arguably eight. like okay. ten or eleven. I mean, you know. You you got to put well I, uh, seven yeah with Kareem Hunt. I, I guess I end the first tier with Kareem Hunt like. It's crazy that he's going seventh in the ADP and PPR because it's like Kareem Hunt could easily be the number one overall pick. Like, think about what he is. He's the starting running back who catches passes in an ostensibly good offense who's in his second year, and he's really good, and he's never been hurt. Like, that's basically describes the number one overall pick. It happens to be Gurley, um, which is fine, and I guess I would take Gurley over him, but I don't think there's a huge gap between Hunt and Gurley. They're pretty much check the same box. That's, yeah, that's, that's why, you know, I'd rather have like, I'd rather just draft seventh. I mean, yeah. if you're going to go, if you're committed to go running back, you know, just, I mean, the top seven, there's not a lot of differentiation between you know, yeah. Gurley, Johnson, Bell, Elliott, Barkley, Kamara, Hunt. Yeah, no, no. They're all, you know, very, very good. Um, so, you know, so that's, that's that. And then the second tier with Gordon, Gordon checks all the boxes. It's just except that he's not that good. He, you know, he's never had four yards of carry. But otherwise, he checks all the boxes. Good offense, catches passes, heavy workload, goal line work, young, you know, has been durable the last couple of years. I mean, 
Gordon checks every box except efficiency, and sometimes that's fluky. So, you know, you can really go eight deep. And then Fournette, he lost 20 pounds. Remember Le'Veon Bell had sort of a mediocre rookie year, came back 20 pounds lighter and took over the league. Fournette's down to 223. He's playing at 240 last year, had some ankle problems. He's, you know, a huge pedigree guy they're going to give a ton of work to. They gave him, like, 268 carries in 13 games. And I think he can catch 45, 50 passes. They, they threw to him, like, 30-something in 13 games. I mean, it's not like he doesn't catch passes. So Fournette arguably belongs in that tier. And then Dalvin Cook was a monster for four games when he played before he got hurt, and he's ostensibly healthy also on a good offense on a team that wants to run it a lot and throw to the back. So there's really, like, 10 guys who fit the – full-time, you know, heavy workload, do-it-all, running back mold. Yeah, and Cook, the one thing about him, he's coming back from the ACL tear, but they didn't, like, you know, draft anyone, sign any veterans, uh, you know, they, they let Derek McKinnon go. Like, it seems like they're, you know, they're, they're pretty confident he's going to come back because they don't have a lot of, of backup options. Um, yeah, I mean, the, to me, doing the draft so far, the, the guys, the, the running backs that are kind of like the flashpoint running backs that seem to have, a, you know, wide disagreement on value, the first one would be McKinnon. And just because, you know, the coaches come out and said, we're going to give him the ball a ton. Um, and so his, you know, his ADP has risen. You, know, you have a number 12 in the cheat sheet, but, you know, the guy was third string in Minnesota last year. Yeah. I mean, the thing about, uh, let me put the P- PPR because he's 12 behind Howard in non-PPR. But in full PPR, uh, I'm sure McKinnon's higher than that. Yeah, McKinnon moves, well, he just moves up to 11. Um, no, he's still 12 because McCaffrey jumps him in full PPR. But, um yeah, I, I think there's something. Is he that good? Is he going to get? Can he handle a full workload of carries? We know he can catch the ball, but wasn't that efficient in uh, Minnesota? I don't know. I think he he is kind of a flashpoint guy. I could see taking him early second because I think there's a chance he catches like 70 balls in Shanahan's system, but it's just kind of sight unseen. It's uh, I, I haven't had any. Sh- I've I've done th- four leagues and I have no shares yet. Yeah, and Kenyon Drake and Joe Mixon would be the other two guys that are sort of in that f- first. 15 to 20 picks that are like you just get big debates one or the other and i can see cases both both ways i mean drake didn't really you know, he had a small sample size and mixing you know was such a disappointment last year that you know does anybody have any faith they're going to bounce back i mean what do you think about those two guys well um drake i was higher on and then the market was way below me and i sort of adjusted it slightly thinking you know adam gaze is just so unreliable and he cut jhi i mean traded jhi it's like who knows what he's going to do um and they're talking about frank gore which is just a joke um, and uh, they drafted Keelan Balage. I, I thought his name was Keelan Ballage. It's better for a, a running back. But I don't know what they're going to do. And, yeah, Drake had a small sample. We don't know how much he can hold up. But he was good, and he can catch passes, and he was a pretty good prospect. I I, I kind of like him. I'm, I'm coming full circle where, yeah, my, my take on him originally is, is kind of what I'm sticking with. I have him 14th in PPR. Mixon lost weight also, and I don't want to oversell the best shape of his life stuff, but – I mean, I, I think that 20 pounds, you know, when you're a running back and you're relying on some quickness and cutting and stuff, it may make a difference to be in top shape. And the Bengals' offensive line was terrible last year. It's gotten better. The problem with Mixon for me is I think there's some upside. I think you'd be good. But Gio Bernard is a very good player, and he's there. So how can, you know, it seems like Mixon's upside is like Mark Ingram, you know, healthy, you know, Mark, a non-suspended Mark Ingram. Because how can they... They're going to use Bernard on third down and even a little bit on early downs because he's good. So how can Mixon have a, you know, you really, you need to be that three down guy where, where the other options are just complimentary. They're just in there for 50 carries. They're just in there, you know, for a small role. You can't have a legitimate timeshare and be that top running back. Yeah, so those are three guys I've seen kind of all over the map. The other trend is all the rookie running backs you've got uh six uh ranked in your top 30 which uh, i think is you know pretty much you, you know same with any rankings for adp anywhere ronald jones rashad penny darius geis royce freeman uh, uh sonny michelle um i mean are, are we too high in r- rookie running backs i mean rookie running backs last year came through in a big way i mean is that going to repeat you think i mean obviously you do if you got them in the top 30 why do you think that that I mean, trend will continue i don't i don't see them as a class right like they're all independent situations like each running back is his own thing, his own situation. It's not like, oh, well, do I have an opinion on rookies per se? Rookie running backs historically have always been able to contribute in the NFL. You know, if they get the opportunity, they contribute. I mean, they're just like any other running back. It's not one of those positions like tight end where you need a couple years to learn it. Um, I'm a little, I, you know, I have Royce Freeman. I moved him down, and 
want to double check that the software is moving him down as much as I have because I think he should be even lower than I than I'm looking at on the sheet. Problem with Royce Freeman is a lot of hype about him. He's just some third round pick. I mean, the only reason people are hyping Royce Freeman is because they don't really have a good player in his place. So they're like, you know, they got rid of C.J. Anderson. So they're like, oh, well, it must be Royce Freeman. But how many times have you seen like a team draft a third round or not even like a first or second? And everyone's like, yeah, he's the guy. And then like the season starts and Devontae Booker's the guy. And that's just it. And nobody, you know, there's no explanation for it. It's just, hey, he's just a third round pick. It's not an automatic starter. So um, I guess there's upside if he yeah, is the guy. Yeah, I mean, that's. Yeah, I mean, that's why I have avoided Geis, Freeman, and, and and Michelle because it's like they don't have the job, and the projection to project them in the top thirty means that that you know they're going to get the you know they're going to have the job, and it may pan out, it may pan out, but um, I mean, at least with Ronald Jones and Penny, they're, you know, since they are first round picks and stuff like that, it's it's you know they're probably you know highly likely to, to have the job right away, if not week one, right? The other guys might have to earn it. Um, that's why that's kind of how I've been taking it a little bit. Um, so that you know, those I mean, those are the rookies. I think that's I think that's a little bit more prominent than before. I have no problem taking rookie running backs. I mean, if they get the go- get the job, they get the job. We've seen it happen before. Like you said, it's all situational and dependent. But I certainly noticed a lot of people saying, "Whoa, my goodness, we're we're bidding up the rookies this year." But I think that's just more reality of the situations. Beyond the top, like I don't know, ten, fifteen. I mean, who who are the middle round guys you've 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 been kind of seeking out or ended up with your drafts? Well, you know, in a PPR, I love getting Tariq Cohen. I mean. He got 87 carries last year. I think he'll get something like that this year, maybe a few more. And I'm projected for 61 receptions. I think that's conservative, but I'm keeping it a little conservative. But I just think Tariq Cohen could be a monster. That offense could be good. I mean, what's the difference between Tariq Cohen and Alvin Kamara, Tariq Cohen and Christian McCaffrey? I mean, in the end, they they may be used somewhat similar. I mean, just the, just the whole... Right, it's just the wild card is how much usage is he really going to get? New coach, new system. We think it's going to happen, you know, from from uh, everything we've read. But he's not like the main guy. He's not big. He's not going to get goal line work. So you're kind of banking on a lot of a lot of packages and a lot of kind of stuff, you know, kind of stuff, which which could definitely happen. But um, but I could also see some scenarios where it doesn't happen. No, sure. But I'm just saying, like, if, if you look at it, like, at you know, um, Christian McCaffrey has C.J. Anderson there for goal line work and Cam Newton there for goal line work. I mean, Christian McCaffrey is almost certainly going to – it's going to be rare that he gets a rushing touchdown. And then you look at Kamara. Well, he'll get some rushing touchdowns, but Ingram's going to be there. So they all have this – you know, obviously Tariq Cohen has Jordan Howard. They all have this sort of early down guy that's going to get a lot of the work, but they're so good as pass catchers, and they're going to get a decent amount of carries. I mean, I would say Kamara gets the most, maybe 170, 180. Then McCaffrey gets 150 maybe, 140. And then Cohen gets maybe 100, so that's a little bit of a difference. But it's a very similar role, and one of the guys is far cheaper. And if the offense is good, and we don't know for a fact yet that Trubisky's going to pan out, although he was solid as a rookie in a terrible system with awful receivers, and he's got a new coach coming in that seems pretty progressive. Um, I, I like him. I've been getting a lot of Mark Ingram. I just think that people are looking at cheat sheets that are projections-based, and there's no sort of replacement value adjustment. And they're looking at Ingram as if he's getting the numbers that he's getting over 16 games. It is much better to get what we have projected for Ingram, 190 carries, 866 yards, eight touchdowns, 30 receptions, 288 yards, one receiving touchdown, over 12 games than it is over 16. It is much more valuable for your team. And so he's just being slotted on these cheat sheets and then, you know, and then consequently on ADP lists as though those were his 16-game stats when, in fact, those are his 12-game stats. So I've been, I've been getting Mark Ingram almost everywhere. All right, so uh, you know, for for me, the guys I've been waiting on a little bit later are Carryon Johnson, Matt Burita, Neham Hines. If we're talking like late guys, um, you're kind of down on Johnson compared to, I think his ADP. I have to, I have to check, yeah, I don't but, see the case for him. You know, I, I don't. I don't. Really I, don't done anything in PPR. I, I just don't understand. I don't understand why people are drafting him where they are. I mean, Garrett Blunt's there. You know, Theo Riddick is a third down guy who's not going away. Theo Riddick's a good third down guy. I, yeah, I just see him as a good. I just I just like situations where there's like a whole bunch of running backs. None of them are that great. There's a new coach, and they invest a lot in a rookie. It just seems like a, a situation where it could emerge. Now I'd rather have it be on like a run first offense or something where there's just a lot more dy- dynamic. But uh, um, he just seems like a, a, a good guy who could pop at some point. But it's, it's interesting. It's like you take away the goal line with Blunt, you take away the third down and the receptions with Riddick. And I'm not saying that you know, maybe Johnson wouldn't take over the job from Blunt, but I don't know, man. I just, I just, I see a, I see a low floor and a modest ceiling. Okay, and then uh, 
you know, uh, I, you know, I'm down on, you know, as, and maybe this is my Vikings bias, but I'm down on Jarek McKinnon. Cause I just like, you know, he just wasn't that good. He wasn't that durable. I mean, he, he wasn't bad. He was good in spots, but, um, so if you don't think he's going to be great, then why not take his backup who, uh, you know, at least from what the coach says is going to have a third to half a role at the beginning anywhere. And he's, and he's eating him for nothing. Yeah. The, the reason I haven't been on Brita and Dalton Dildon is the Niners guy likes, uh, likes him too, but he's five ten one ninety. If you're like five six one ninety, like Tariq Cohen, like maybe five ten one ninety is tiny for a running back. I mean, it's really slight. I just don't see that Brita would be getting you know double digit carries every game if uh, McKinnon got hurt. Yeah, Naheem Hines the same thing, smaller guy, but another another coach speak one where you know they're going to get him in the offense and use him in the slot and the wide receiver and all that kind of stuff. And that might be. A- all hype but you know you can get him for nothing right you can get him for late in the draft last few picks a couple bucks in an auction or less or a dollar and uh, if andrew looks healthy they don't have a number two wide receiver who knows right he could be the Tariq cohen of this year so he's going for next to nothing i, I like him as a later on sleeper uh man any other just darts that you that you that you like that you've been p- picking up in drafts i took jordan wilkins in the league it's that same tam- uh indie situation where who knows right is marlon mack even a thing i mean we don't know if he's any good and if uh you know, Wilkins could be the real starter. He's bigger than Hines. Although uh, Hines, you know, in this sort of new environment, I, th- there could be a running back that catches 120 passes one of these years. You know, I mean, I, I really think, like, <laughs> they could just go crazy with it at some point, you know, where it's like, okay, this is the easiest thing to do. And it's sort of instead of a running game, we just, you know, toss these short balls. But anyway, I've been, I've been drafting Jordan Wilkins in a league or two. Um, I, I've been avoiding Rex Burkhead. I just, I just think he's... Overvalued. I don't think he's ever going to be the guy that takes over the whole route, the whole role. I, I want, I want no New England running back ever. I mean, it's like you know, go, go back and look at our analysis of the of the New England backfield last year, a year ago. It was completely wrong, you know. So I mean, I just, I, you know, unless I'm going to take some guy for super cheap and just try to you know get a lot of ticket in there, I, I want to invest oh, nothing. The, in the other guy I really like is Aaron Jones because he's actually good and the suspension's keeping his price down and. It's it's only two games, and I think there's like a very legitimate chance, like 25, 30%, that he's just not a timeshare guy, but actually starting for them and catches passes. And if he is, like, that's why is he any worse than Dalvin Cook? You know, he's in the Aaron Rodgers offense. He's the main guy who does everything. He'll be right around there. He'd be like an early second-round pick if he were the guaranteed starter, and I think there's like a legitimate 25, 30% chance that happens. All right, let's switch over to wide receiver. We've talked about him a bunch already, but uh, – you know, give me kind of your general tiers for them as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of have, you know, I had Brown, Beckham, and Hopkins as the, the tier one, and then Julio's kind of in his own tier, but you could put him with the top or the second. And then I had the second tier of Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams, A.J. Green. It's kind of tier two. I moved Mike Evans down a little bit. It's not just Winston being hurt. It's just sort of they have a lot of guys there. I'm not sure how good Mike Evans is. So tier three is kind of like Doug Baldwin, Mike Evans, Tyreek Hill, Keenan Allen, um, Juju Smith-Schuster is kind of in there. I think he's going to have a big year. Amari Cooper, Thielen, Robinson, and T.Y. Hilton. And then there's sort of like the fourth year starts with Demarius Thomas. One guy that I like probably a little more new is just Devontae Adams, which is, I mean, he's if Aaron Rodgers is healthy, he's his number one target. He did really well last year with terrible quarterback play. He's a red zone uh, you know, monster. I just, I mean, to me, he, he could be first, you know, up there with uh, – you know, Jones and Hopkins, you know, maybe not Beckham and Brown, but I, I'm pretty high in him. And I mean, what's, what's the, the, what's the, you know, you still have six, so it's not like yeah. you're trashing or anything like that, but uh, it, what, what's the negative at all by why he's not. I guess he's just not very explosive. He's not that fast. He's not that explosive. Um, the Packers don't, they've never really had a receiver that gets like 180 targets. You know, they, they always seem to spread it around a little bit. Maybe that's because Jordy and Cobb were there. Um, and there were just three guys, but even Jordy would get like 155 targets. He never, he was never like leading the league in targets. Um, they do throw a ton in the red zone. That's good. Jimmy Graham may cut into some red zone looks. Jimmy Graham was like a red zone specialist last year. I like Adams. I could see it. I could see him getting like 14 touchdowns, leading the all receivers and touchdowns. I project only two guys are projected for double digit touchdowns among receivers since Hopkins and Devonte Adams. I just don't know like how good Devonte Adams really is. He'll be good with Rogers, but like, is he really that great of a receiver? Yeah, well, that's, I mean, I, I, I think so, but we'll see. Who knows? I mean, like Julio Jones, um, Odell Beckham, Antonio Brown are like generally, generationally great receivers. You know, those guys are going to the Hall of Fame. Those guys are, you know, the so fast, so explosive, so dangerous. They're just amazing players. 
Devontae Adams, he's just in the right situation. That's true. But, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers can make anyone look awesome. You know, anyone can be elite with uh, with him throwing the ball if he's healthy, which, hopefully, you know, I mean, I mean, we assume he's going to be. And, you know, we can, you know he's coming back with a broken bone as opposed to a, a ligament. So you'd think he'd be healthy, but obviously watch him in the preseason. So if you're taking running backs in the first couple rounds like you have in a couple of drafts, I mean, who, who are the then who are the receivers you're, you're kind of keen on? Well, uh, yeah, I might not take a running back around too. Like to beat Chris Liss, I took Hunt, and then I went back with AJ Green and Amari Cooper. Um, I've only have one share of each, but I really like Amari Cooper. I think that he's 24 years old. I think Gruden's going to get you know get him focused, and they're going to target him a ton. If Martavis Bryant's suspended, then it's like him and the carcass, formerly known as Jordy Nelson. And I think Cooper's going to go crazy in that situation. Um, other guys, I like Doug Baldwin. I never seem to get him, but I like him. I like T.Y. Hilton. I think he's getting a little underdrafted because of the luck worries, but so much upside. If, if I were to go to Vegas and bet on one guy with the likely odds of you know winning the receiving yardage title, I would definitely bet Hilton. I mean, he's as good a chance as anybody if luck is healthy. Um, who else have I been landing on? Marquise Goodwin. He's you know Garcon's 32 and coming off a serious injury. If the Niners' passing game is really good, Marquise Goodwin could have a huge piece of it. Uh, Robbie Anderson for the Jets. That guy's actually really good. He's had like legal troubles, but no matter how scrubby the QB is, that guy makes big plays all the time. I like him. I have a share of Corey Davis. He's a little trendy now, but you know, second year pick fifth overall should should have a big opportunity. DJ Moore of Carolina is another guy. I mean, I've been reading about this guy. He's just tough, physical. Seems like he's polished, ready to go in the NFL. The, the Panthers don't have anybody. I mean, Funches is there, but Funches is nobody. They, they were he was just the guy because there was no one else. They got rid of Benjamin. You know, he's kind of slow, Funches. I think Moore could be the number one guy right away. And uh, I have some shares of him as well. And then I've been sort of gambling on, like, Kenny Galladay, Chris Godwin, second-year guys who showed a spark last year and could have a bigger role. Yeah. Right. I'm, uh, uh, well, late in drafts, like, like Alan Hearns. I mean, somebody's going to, I mean, get the target share in, in, in Dallas, right? So, so you know, take him. Like Sammy Watkins, kind of forgotten. But if the, if the Chiefs are going to be a, you know, prolific, you know, pass offense, then there's target to be had and he and he could emerge so uh, those are two guys i'm taking you know late in, in wide receivers certainly not spending a lot of capital on them but you know have them in, as bench players in, in a couple leagues i've been throwing a buck on martavis bryant and uh terrell Pryor. i mean bryant there was some announcement that he might be suspended so i downgraded him but like it's not really been any mention of it since and then terrell Pryor was really good with terrible quarterbacks on the browns he's a freak he's like six five or six four you know 230 and runs a four four um, and last year he was a bust, but he was just, he was hurt. I mean, you know, if you're playing with a broken ankle that needed surgery, obviously it has no reflection on how good you are. The Jets receiving core is actually crowded. They still have Jermaine Curse. They have Quincy Inunua coming back. They have Robbie Anderson and they have Pryor. So I don't know who's going to get the looks, but it's actually like quietly like a pretty deep receiving core. Yeah, I mean, those, I mean, all sound like pretty good darts. Um, let's just throw it to, you know, to tight end. Uh, we talked before about how we're approaching it. I mean, if if you're waiting on him, who, who you know, what tight ends are you generally ending up with? Yeah, I end up with George Kittle, and I'm not really waiting as long as I maybe should for him, but he's there in like the ninth round when I don't have a tight end. I mean, the Niners' offense is projected to do well. They have the best offensive mind, or one of the best three offensive minds in football, and Kyle Shanahan, Garoppolo, was amazing last year. He looks like the real deal. So who's going to produce for them? I mean, Pierre Garçon's 32 coming off an injury, and he was never that good. At his peak, he was never that good. Then you've got Marquise Goodwin, who's like this sprinter who was able to thrive in the offense last year. But still, he's like a 105-target guy. He's like Deshaun Jackson. He's not like a 140-target guy. I hope he is, but I think I'm dubious that that's the case. So who else is going to catch passes? McKinnon's going to catch a bunch. But who else? You can't just have you know, two wide receivers and a, and a running back. Someone else has to catch passes. And you can look at like Trent Taylor, the slot guy. I don't think there's a huge role for him. He's slow. He's not very big. Um, you could look at the guy, Dante Pettis, who they got, and he's – fast but mostly a kick returner it seems like so who's going to catch passes well Kittle is in year two athletic tight end he showed signs when he was a little banged up last year but he showed signs when he was healthy and now he's going to have ostensibly a bigger opportunity in an offense that might be elite I mean George Kittle could get like nine touchdowns I mean it's a type of thing where um he could be one of their number one targets he might not be he might be a total bust but when I'm getting to that point in the tight end board that's that's who I'm landing on and then so what's your what's your feeling about Trey Burton He's a guy who's pretty trendy in the expert leagues. I, I like it. I think once you get um, out of the first and, seven, uh, ending in Delaney Walker, I think you may as well. That's you know usually he goes so early that that I'm not getting him because people are really jumping him up. So, you know he's in uh, Matt Nagy's offense as the uh, as the 
sort of slot receiver slash tight end, which is the same role that Travis Kelsey plays in Kansas City. And they specifically got him in there. You know, the, the Bears are, have a totally new group of people. Allen Robinson's new. Rookie Anthony Miller's new. And Burton's new. So it's not like he's going to a situation where he's going to have to adapt to the existing offense. It's a brand-new offense, brand-new players. Maybe he emerges as the number one guy. He's not coming off an injury, and he's not a rookie. So, you know, I think he has a chance to be good. Yeah, he's just been his price has been pretty high in leagues. I've been you know over some established options like Walker and Kyle Rudolph, who you know may not be tremendous upside, but you know as long as he stays healthy, you know has been a solid producer. But health being key at tight end, which is why I usually punt it because there's so many injuries. Um, a guy like Late is, I mean, I don't, I hate the player, but I love the situation. It's Eric Ebron, who if Luck's healthy, there's you know tons of opportunity. No established number two wide receiver, running game, you know who knows. Um, they have a coach who's used two wide, two tight ends before, and Ebron's numbers. When you look at them, they're you know they're not actually as bad as I remember. Even though when I've watched him on the field, he's been kind of horrendous. Um, I, you know, I like him as a buck or a flyer, and you know, especially if you know maybe not like in a one tight end league, but two tight ends or just a bench guy. You know, if, if there's a flex spot, um, what do you think about him? Sure, I, I, I see it. I mean, a lot of teams don't run two tight ends in routes. Usually, one of them stays in the block, but the Colts are very thin at receiver and. Uh, you know, uh, Ebron has shown sparks. He's also still really young. I mean, he's actually produced at a young age, and tight ends usually are late bloomers anyway, so I like it. All right, so that, that's tight end. Uh, last thing I wanted to go through was just kind of just first-round rookies. Uh, we talked about most of these guys, but some other guys we didn't talk about, uh, just to get your quick take. What about Nick Chubb? I mean, that's that's an unsettled backfield. He's a guy who could emerge. I've got him on a team. He's a guy, I like, just because just of the situation. Yeah, but the problem with him is, like, Duke Johnson's there. And Jarvis Landry's there. So you've got, like, these two short pass catchers that take away, like, most of the PPR value that Chubb could ever have. And they just signed Carlos Hyde as a free agent. So they're paying him. They're not going to just kick him to the curb. So I think unless, you know, Hyde, even if Hyde gets hurt, Chubb's upside is, like, sort of an early down guy on a, you know, an 8-8 eight and eight team at best is, is modest. And if Hyde doesn't get hurt, the upside is, is very modest. Yeah, we're, we're going to skip talking about the rookie quarterbacks because in most leagues unless you're in a deep two keeper league or dynasty league it just doesn't really matter i mean baker mayfield maybe for cleveland at some point emerges and you can probably pick up on the wire lamar jackson just get him in the last pick and dump lamar jackson we talked about yeah exactly um but the rookie wide receivers uh we haven't really talked about too much i mean you know it's only a couple years ago that you know all the rookie wide receivers in the first rounders like developed right away and everyone thought oh my goodness this has changed the change the curve and in the last two years it's kind of taken a step back for a lot of reasons you know the global reasons we talked about in terms of passing but let's go through some of these rookie wide receivers and just get your take i mean uh calvin ridley i mean you know falcons took a, a the first round why wouldn't they give him opportunity right away uh, they could and sanu is not very good so it's a a guy who has a, an opportunity but julio jones is a dominant number one you know Target hog. Um, I, I just, it's it's hard to see Ridley having a, a ton of upside, and then with Sanu there, who's, I don't think very good, but still there and getting his targets. Um, I don't think the floor is that high. So, you know, Ridley's one of those guys that you just take a flyer on and hope that he catches sixty five passes for like seven hundred fifty yards. And he's also not that physically explosive either. That's the other thing. He's not like some mega talent. He's polished. He's a little bit older than some of the other rookies. So. He's kind of a low-ceiling, high-floor player, is an NFL player, and he's in a situation where even the floor is not that high. All right, what about Christian Kirk in Arizona? I mean, I, I've seen some drafts. Where some people are just, he's the guy this year. He's, you know, he's going to be you know, PPR. He's going to be a number two wide receiver or whatever. I mean, uh, are, are you in on that at all? I haven't been. Um, I guess the situation isn't bad because Larry Fitzgerald's old and it's really the only guy there and – you know, maybe there's a, a shot that he really is like getting a, a decent amount of targets, but I don't know. It's kind of a just, just not really inspired by the quarterbacking. He's kind of average size speed combo. Nothing really jumps out. Just doesn't seem like he's, you know, one of those receivers that's going to take the league by storm. I could be wrong about that, but I'm, I don't have any shares. Yeah. Same with me. And then a couple other names I want to throw there. Uh, Cortland Sullivan, James Washington, Michael Gallup. You're going to own shares of any of those guys? Uh, I could see getting a share of Gallup just for the same reason you keep drafting Alan Hearns. I mean, just someone's going to catch passes, and maybe he's the best of the bunch. You know, Maybe he's the best of the group. Anthony Miller is the guy that people are talking up in Chicago because, you know, Alan Robinson coming off the injury, and Anthony Miller's second-round pick could blow up right out of the gate. But the guy I'm getting is DJ Moore. I mean, that's the guy. I just think 
Carolina's just, they've got a lot of guys, a lot of bodies, but nobody's good. And what if he's good? I think he could easily be the number one guy out of the gate. All right, so those are the rookies. Lastly, defense, kickers, that kind of stuff. Uh, let me, let me, I'll, I'll let you make your case. You, I've been in two drafts with you, and you've taken defenses and kickers probably earlier than I've even seen you take them before. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a wait on, wait on all these guys. Never, you know, your last two picks are kicker and defense, and that's I pretty much stick to that all the time. But uh, I think you, you know, you even got higher this year. Anyway, what, what, what's the take to, to, to go against that? I think we've gotten bad information over the years on this, um, and it's been enforced with like shame. Uh, so it's like if it, basically the, the prevailing wisdom is kickers and defenses. Yeah, they're, they're, of course they matter. The, the difference between the top kicker and the twentieth kicker is huge, and same with defenses. But that they're so unpredictable that you're a fool to try to guess which one's going to be good. So just wait till the last round and take whichever, and hope to get lucky, and then drop one for a better one as the season goes on. But that advice really makes no sense because if you can drop one for a better one as the season goes on, then you're assuming that before each game you can make predictions and predict based on their performance so there it is predictable to some extent so that kind of contradicts the first premise that they're totally random and secondly um i think that the um the whole notion is flawed because what people do is they'll look at something statistically um overall and then and then generalize that into specific situations so let's say you know overall um you know this is the case but yeah sure overall maybe year to year there's not much correlation between you know kicker scoring but is that true at the very top of the kicker board? Because I'm pretty sure Steven Goskowski is a top five kicker or a top three kicker every single year, right? If that were totally random, it would be like one in a trillion that he finished that high among 32 kickers every single year for like five or six years, right? But it's not random. He's on a great team. He's actually a good kicker. Justin Tucker kicks 55-yard field goals. He, his kicking percentage is like among the highest all time, even though he's trying tons from 50-plus. And the Ravens know that, so they try more from 50-plus in leagues when you, know, you get five points for a 50-yarder or just 10% of the field goal distance added to your points, like in the NFBC. Those guys are super valuable. So I, I think the information that all kicking is unpredictable is just wrong. It's, as a whole, kicking is unpredictable, but at the very top or the very bottom... I think it does become predictable. And I think this is something that like, people just get wrong all the time in every facet of, of statistics. Just because so, something's overall the case doesn't mean that at the extremes it remains the case. Um, and, and the defense is the same thing. And we know, I mean, if you had the Jacksonville defense, you just cleaned up last year. It was like, they should have been taken. If, if you could go back, let me ask you this. If you could go back last year and draft a team knowing the final stats, what round would the Jacksonville defense go in? Uh, well, I mean, he might go, they might go in like the second or third round, but if you knew right. kickers and That's defenses right. were they're, they're going to end up, you, you know, you might take them first and second overall for sure. <laughs> right. right. So, so, so the point is they clearly make a huge difference. And then it's, it's the only question that really matters. I mean, they don't make as big a difference as a running back, but the only question that matters is the predictability one. And so, you know, that's why we have this bet. Whenever somebody says, well, you're an idiot to take a kicker five rounds early. Well, okay, let's bet. I'll take Guskowski and you take say Adam Vinatieri. I'll give you a random kicker. That's not going to lose his job. Um, and we'll make a bet. Like, who, you know, I'll give you some odds. Like, who's going to get more points, kicking points this year of fantasy? And most people don't want that bet. Uh, to your credit, you took the bet. I used Justin Tucker, yes. so I made it a little easier on you than Guskowski. But, you know, m- most people don't want that bet. Well, why? If it's random and I'm giving you six to five odds, that's just a no-brainer, that bet. But in the end, people talk a good game, but they, from experience, they know that kicking is not totally random. Yeah, well, I will say Gustowski has had uh let's see i don't have his rank among kickers so i have to figure that out but he's had you know he's had over 158 you know fantasy points uh 157 fantasy points for five years now let's see five of six years so that's about as good as it gets but he did have a year we had you know two years ago 131 which i'm sure put him out of the top five and probably maybe even out of the top 10 kickers so it you know it's not always a guarantee nothing else is um, i still think it's pretty random I, if, if i would seed anything to you i would say Sure, maybe for the the top two guys, the guys we know are going to be good on the good offenses. There's some reliability, but then after that, forget it. There's no difference between number three or four, number fourteen. That's so right. why bother? Well, you know, no, just to yeah. Keep, well, no one's arguing. Positions. You don't see me taking. Yeah. You don't see me taking like the sixth kicker before the last round. <laughs> you see me taking the one or two kicker. That's it. You know, and same <laughs> yeah. with defense. I mean, there's like two or three yeah. defenses. I'll I'll jump, and then after that, I'll take the last guy. I'm. I'm Exactly the same. I, I think that the data is the data is true. I mean, this is fact that overall the correlation between those positions year to year is almost zero. That, but I'm just saying at the very tail ends at the, you know, at the tip. Yeah, uh, defense. Defenses. I'm, I'm a little bit. I'm, I'm even more leery. Maybe not more leery, but 
the thing about defense that, that stinks is it's defensive scoring. I mean, last year, the Vikings were first in points allowed and yards allowed, but they weren't the top team defense scoring. And, and that's because sometimes you're the best defense. I mean, the goal of defense is to get off the field, right? So if you're not on the field, then you're not getting interceptions and turnovers and all that kind of stuff, you know? So sometimes you can pick the right horse and it doesn't win because it's fantasy scoring. It's not real football. And I think that that has a lot of variance. And sometimes it's almost better to get a mediocre defense that's on the field lots of times. And just especially if you're in a league where there's no penalties for points allowed or yards allowed. I mean, in some ways, it's almost better just to have a team that's out there that just might luck into a couple of sacks or a couple of turnovers. Yeah, I, I actually disagree with that because I think anyway. the way defense touched it, they're, they're not unpredictable. There is variance and it is random. But like you get a lot of them when the other team's desperate, throwing a lot, pass plays are what result in defensive touchdowns, not usually running plays. It's very rare to get a fumble return for a touchdown. It's usually a sack fumble or a pick six. And, you know, you get teams in situations where they have to throw, where they're behind, where they're taking chances they wouldn't ordinarily take, being a little loose with the ball. You know, having a lead, being on top of a team with a good defense is the and having good pass rushers is the key to defensive scoring. Now, of course, there's very, it's like pitcher wins. You know, people are like, well, wins are so random. I mean, you could pitch a, a shutout and the other pitcher gets a shutout and you don't get a win. You could allow six runs, and the other, and, but your team scores seven, you get a win. Yeah, but it's not totally unpredictable. You know, it's like you can look at who's a good pitcher, right. what the team context is. It can be a team-based sort of fluky thing, but that doesn't make it totally random. And I think that when people punt, um, you can take advantage of that. I think, I think if people don't want to, you know, if, if they want to consider it random, that's fine. But I think we know that, like, again, I don't think people are going to say, okay, give me the Jaguars and you take the Giants and I'll give you six to five odds. I would take that bet all day. All right, so that's our our take on them. I'm wait on you know you like to go for the top guys a little bit early. I like to wait on them. Certainly uh, beyond that, you're waiting on them. Um, I mean, any any other advice? Any other you know that we've gone through the positions and the strategy? Any other tips or things to think about while while you're doing your auctions and your uh, your drafts? Well, I think for auctions, um, you just buy three or four really expensive players early and then wait like crazy and save a little money for the end game to choose who you want at the one and two dollar and seven dollar level. Um, but get three or four players. Never leave money on the table. The best way to do that is buy early. Buy before people are comfortable spending. Buy while they're still waiting to get a relative price on everybody and figure out the market. Before they figure it out, before you figure it out, get in on the bidding early. That's that's my advice for an auction. For a draft, um, yeah. go ahead, Pete. Well, I was going to say, for auctions, I agree. I mean, one thing about football is you got to get stars. I mean, you know, it's it's not a deep player pool like baseball or other sports. There's not a whole lot of time. You know, you just can't you just can't leave a, a an auction or a draft with a whole bunch of you know uh, mediocre players, and you didn't get your first or second round picks. And so, even in an auction, even if sometimes things get crazy, you know, and, and get so distributed so that it's stars and scrubs, you got to get in there and get a star. You know, you know whatever it is, whatever it is. But if you don't leave with a first round, second round talent or two or three, uh, you're 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 really really not playing it well. Right, and and I don't, I'm agnostic <clears throat> in the. Uh, auction like i will i will take i dropped in the stopa league i took lev bell fournette and beckham and i wasn't targeting any of those guys it was just like i just kept bidding and i got them you know and i was like okay i got three stars that that's fine i it wasn't even intentional i feel like auctions be agnostic and structure it right and then save your money for the end to pick and choose among the cheaper players and the draft be aggressive because in a draft you can't just you know, you, the value may not be there. The value may be swip, swooped up right one pick before you. You might be like, oh, sweet, this guy, Doug Baldwin's going to fall to the third round. I'm all set, and the guy takes him. Okay, so the value got sucked out of your pick. So go ahead and get the guy you want. Don't go with the top ADP guy necessarily. Just pick the guy you want that's probably not going to be there on the way back. So aggression in drafts, um, more agnosticism, and patience in auctions. Yeah, and I mean, and I would say that I tend to go a little bit more with the, you know, a little more of a dogmatic strategy in drafts and take, force myself to take wide receivers early and usually you know, pans out with a team that I like uh, roster construction. Whereas like auctions, I like to be a little more flexible because you know, if you go in there with a strategy, it, I mean, who knows? You, you know, you're going you're gonna to leave money on the table. There might, be, might not be as much value. Um, so I generally tend to go a little bit agnostic as well. But usually I try to pick out a couple of positions or areas where I just want to make sure that I just don't. Um, I'll say one last leave, thing. I don't leave uh, a huge hole. So, sorry, Finn, go ahead. Oh, yeah. So, like, two quarterbacks league, you know, for example, this, you know, Stope Auction, you know, I, you know, I made sure that I was, I got two quarterbacks, you know, for example, I wasn't going to just be so agnostic that next thing you know, I was, you know, having, you know, struggling at that position and then always behind the eight ball. 
Yeah, two QB leagues. Like, you just get the two. I just mean agnostic as to which ones they are. Like, I got Goff and Winston and then some scrubs to fill in yeah. while Winston's yeah. suspended. But I, was, I didn't care if I got Matt Ryan or Goff or whatever. I prefer Goff, but I don't care. I just wanted – I was agnostic as to who the particular players were. I was not agnostic as to getting those players. Um, I just say the last thing, especially in a 14-team league or any deeper leagues – don't worry about being unbalanced. Like, if your team has great receivers and mediocre running backs, that's fine. If your team has great running backs and mediocre receivers, that's fine. You're not going to get everything everywhere. You know, the whole season you're going to have so many uh, free agent pickups and maybe a trade, and things are going to change so much on the value of the guys you've got. When you look at your roster on week 12, there's going to be like three or four guys. If, it's, if your team's good, there's going to be three or four core guys that are still good that you drafted, and you're going to have uh, filled in all the rest. So just draft you know, as, as well as you can and just realize that three or four core guys who are at least second-round values are going to be needed to compete. Um, and you'll, hopefully you'll get a couple guys you know, later on that fill in and, and make good lineup decisions and get some, some of you know, mine the best of the three-week span of some guy who was a, got the job for a bit and, and helped fill out. But don't worry about balance. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 it's those report cards you get at the end of drafts where they say, oh, you got an A, but that's only if you followed ADP the whole way and your team was solid, didn't have any holes. But that's just not reality of how right. the fantasy football season works. I mean, a third of your roster is going to turn over from injury um, and you know, the fact that they lose starting jobs or they just, they're just not as good as you perceive it. And that's, that's a given every year, anytime, any team. So, yeah, definitely, I agree with that. I always get a, I always get a D or an F in the Yahoo uh, one. <laughs> that's exactly, yeah, that's always my goal. I'm always like, yeah, exactly. Not, you know, don't want to criticize them their partner it's a fun tool there's definitely you know everyone gets obsessed with their draft when they're done so that feeds into that obsession and it's fun but certainly don't take it as a a true benchmark for how your season may go um all right that's it for the draft uh, podcast uh, we'll try and be back with another one in the preseason but hopefully we helped you get uh, studied for your drafts and uh remember free 10-day trial rotowire.com slash uh radio or rotowire.com slash podcast and uh you know check out everything we have and hopefully you'll subscribe for the season so we'll, we'll talk to you again later